Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you believe anything at all, you are welcomed here. I'm Reverend Mark Feldmeyer, St. Andrew's Senior Pastor, and I'm glad you're here. There are many ways to connect with St. Andrew's community from wherever you happen to be. If you're interested in learning more about St. Andrew, I'll be mentioning some ways to connect with us at the end of today's podcast. Let's take a moment now to hear this week's scripture reading before we jump into today's message. Loved ones, as we begin our new sermon series, Tim Scholl, this morning, our readings come to us from the Gospel according to Mark and the Epistle of First Peter. Mark's Gospel, likely the earliest, was written between 65 and 70 CE. It is the shortest of the four Gospels, known for its directness and fast-paced narrative. First Peter, attributed to the Apostle Peter, addresses, quote, the exiles of the dispersion, displaced in the five regions of Asia Minor. Scholars place its composition in the early to mid-60s CE, after Peter's arrival in Rome, but before Emperor Nero's harsh persecution of Christians. Both readings, Mark's Gospel and 1 Peter, though distinct, share common traits. Mark's Gospel emerged amidst early believers seeking to comprehend Christ's life and teachings while 1 Peter was penned during a period of intense persecution, offering guidance to early struggling communities of faith in Asia Minor. Notably, baptism holds significance in both of these passages. In Mark, it initiates Jesus' ministry and, importantly, affirms his identity. While in 1 Peter, baptism serves as a reminder of believers with their unity with and in connection to God through Christ. Listen, if you will, for the encouragement bursting forth from both readings. In Mark, there is an assurance that this man, Jesus, is God's beloved son in whom God is pleased. Summarily in 1 Peter, amidst present difficulties, believers find comfort in knowing that God is with them surpassing any surrounding challenge with his strength and guiding presence. A reading from Mark 1, verses 9 through 11, and 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 21. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, He saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice, a voice came from the heavens. You, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. 1 Peter 3, 21. And baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Welcome, friends, to the season of Lent, the season that is so unappealing to many that it's named after those annoying little white balls you find in your pockets of your jeans. Lent, the somber, moody season of introspection and penance that falls squarely and rather unfairly between the festive fa-la-las of Christmas and the hopeful alleluias of Easter Lent. This season that arrives when winter just doesn't seem to want to give up and the nights are still a little too long and the, the daylight is so dim that even Puxatani Phil can still see his shadow. Lent, it can be and feel like such a depressing season for a lot of people because it has this focus on self-examination and it talks about repentance and sin and sacrifice. So, There aren't a lot of people for whom Lent is their favorite season. But then again, how many people really know what Lent is even about? A lot of people assume Lent is what the Catholics do, even though Lent predates Catholicism. It was observed by ancient Christians as early as 325 CE. And back then, Lent was this 40-day season of spiritual preparation for Easter. The earliest Christians embraced Lent as a season of prayer and fasting for reconciling with those from whom they had been estranged, for preparing new converts to the Christian faith, and for welcoming back into the community those who, for whatever reason, had drifted or run away. And so today, most Christians and most churches don't celebrate or observe Lent And maybe that's because whenever we are invited to really examine our lives and to be honest about our hang-ups and our mess-ups and our hiccups and our trip-ups and to acknowledge our need for grace and then to make some room in our lives for real changes in our patterns and our ways of thinking, this can really start to feel very overwhelming and scary and super hard. And so Lent is not a particularly happy season. It is, it's really hard for a preacher to land a good joke during the season of Lent. I mean, they just sort of, they fall flat like, a, like a, an orphaned puppy on the doorstep, you know? Um, like the one about a priest and a rabbi and a minister who walk into a bar and the bartender says, what is this, a joke? You see what I mean? Not even the, not even the characters in the jokes want to play along with us. I could go on. I've got a few really bad ones. But look, that's about as funny as it gets in Lent. I mean, low-grade humor is the best we can do. But you should probably try to get in some laughs right now because this is the first Sunday of Lent and we're going to get 
a little serious. At the heart of the season of Lent is this age-old question, and it's a question as old as humanity itself, and it goes, it goes something like this, why in the world do we do the things that we do? And is it possible that we can actually do better? Why do we do the things we do? Do you ever wonder why you do the things you do? I'm, I bet you probably wonder why a lot of other people do the things that they do, but, but Lent is about you and, and, and the things that you do. Think about it. Why do you do the good things and the not-so-good things? The wonderful things and the awful things, the random acts of kindness and the, the impulsive acts of unkindness. Why do you do the things you do? Great minds have uh, proposed an abundance of seemingly great answers over the years. Some suggest we are motivated by a system of reward and punishment. That, that makes sense for some people. Others suggest that we're motivated by safety and self-esteem or self-actualization. Some say that we're motivated by this innate energy and curiosity about the world that's in all of us, that if it's encouraged, can persuade us to do wonderful things, but if it's inhibited, can lead us to do awful things. Some say we're motivated by intimacy and belonging and achievement, while others say it's the fear of lacking any of these things that, that drives us to do the things that we do. And I think they're probably all partially true because humans are complex creatures. We are shaped by our past experiences, by our present circumstances, by our perceived future possibilities. We're shaped by these inward and outward influences and visible and invisible powers and principalities that, that we don't always fully understand. And especially we're shaped by our own imperfect, incomplete, ever-evolving nature as humans. But what makes humans most complex among all other creatures is that we have a conscience, or at least we seem to have one. A conscience is this inner feeling or voice within us that acts as a guide uh, for the rightness and, and the wrongness of our behavior. And sometimes that voice, uh, that conscience, is wide awake. And at other times, it's sleepwalking. Or worse, it's just completely knocked out. And the problem is that our lives must still keep going regardless. Uh, our minds still must keep making choices, which means that to be human is, is to bear the burden of having to choose moment by moment how we will act right now in this moment. And then for better or worse, to live with the consequences of the choices that we made in that moment. At our Ash Wednesday service just a couple of days ago to begin the season of Lent, I, I shared briefly about the day I realized personally at the age of 12 that I, I belonged irrevocably to this imperfect race we call humanity. And it was not long after my grandfather had gifted me with this old Red Rider BB gun that I, that I spotted a California scrub jay perched on a chain link fence about 20 yards away. And up to that point in my life, I had never once thought of harming or killing any living thing ever. And yet, almost impulsively, I took aim at that bird for reasons I couldn't explain then and still struggle to explain now. And, and not really even expecting to hit the bird, I pulled the trigger. 
and a a plume of, of feathers and scattered and flittered in the air as the bird tumbled to the ground. And as I held that dead bird in my hand, its body still warm, I remember weeping. I wept for the bird. I wept for the shame I felt. I wept for the innocence that I had just lost. But maybe I wept mostly for what I suddenly understood and which we all come to understand someday in our lives, that to be human is to bear the heavy burden of having this great power to choose for ourselves whatever we want to do in the moment and then to bear the consequences of sometimes choosing poorly. And when my father asked me why I shot that bird, I told him that I didn't know why I shot the bird, but he said, you, you did it because you could. And it's only as I've grown older and a little more wiser that I understand the truth of that statement and the truth of why we all do the things that we do sometimes that we wish we wouldn't have done. And mostly we just do it because we can, because we have the power to do whatever we want, but sometimes our conscience is asleep and we we lack the will to do the right thing, to resist our worst impulses and do what is good. Our, our guiding theme for Lent this year is timshol, is a Hebrew word, and it means something like you may, you must, or you can rule over that impulse. Uh, the word appears as timshel in Steinbeck's East of Eden. It is a core idea in that great novel. It's also, for those of you who are Mumford and Sons fans, uh, 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 the, the title of a song, timshel. But the proper word in Hebrew is timshol, and it first appears in a story from the book of Genesis about these two brothers, Cain and Abel. In the story, Cain is jealous of his brother Abel because, as it says, the Lord prefers Abel's meat offering to Cain's uh, crop offering. It's a weird detail in the story. But maybe it just suggests that that sibling rivalry is very real. Or maybe it suggests that our desperate need for God's approval seems just to be timeless. All we know is that in the moment of his jealousy and neediness, the thought of, of killing his brother crosses Cain's mind. And so the Lord appears to Cain and says, sin is lurking at your door. And it will entice you. But you may, you must, you can rule over it. Tim Schull. Sin lurks at our door all for all of us. But can I just say sin always lurks at our door only as a, as a possibility. Uh, we, we have the power to actualize that possibility or not. We have the power to let that in the door or not. And in the story, Cain doesn't have to do what he's thinking of doing. He has the power, God says, to resist the wrong thing. But when he kills his brother, we discover that he just didn't have the will to do the right thing. And the story speaks about why we all do the things that we later wish we wouldn't have done. Cain had the power to do anything in that moment. He he could have, but he lacked the will to do the right thing. And he killed his brother simply because he could. 
And the question for us is how do we awaken our conscience? How do we find the will to channel all that good power that God gives us in every moment to do the right thing and to resist evil and sin, the wrong thing? And I want to say that our story from Mark's gospel gives us a very important clue. In the story from Mark, Jesus is baptized by his cousin, John the Baptizer, who was a prophet. He's baptized in the Jordan River, and I have to say, this is the most formative moment in his, in his life. Uh, Jesus is about 30 years old. Everything changes in this moment for him. Before he steps into the water for his baptism, he is known simply as Jesus, son of Joseph. But when he steps out of the river after his baptism, he is now known as Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Something fundamentally in his very being, not just his identity, but existentially something changes for him. And it's easy for us moderns to overlook how transformative this event is in his life. Up to this point in Mark's gospel, which is just a few verses, because this happens in chapter 1, no one seems to know yet, except maybe for John, his cousin, who Jesus really is. In fact, there's maybe a sense that not even Jesus fully understands who he really is. Maybe to make this point, it helps to remember that in Mark's gospel, there are no Christmas stories. No stories about angels visiting Mary to announce that she will give birth to the Messiah. In Mark's gospel, there are no shepherds or magi or stars in the eastern sky with, a, with an arrow pointing straight down to the manger saying, this is the one, this is the one. In Mark's gospel, when Jesus is baptized, everything changes. His whole understanding of who he is and why he's here, and what his life is all about, it fundamentally changes. His baptism is his own moment of awakening. It's only when he rises from the waters that he becomes fully conscious of, of who he is and, and, and why he is. His baptism is so transforming that it marks the very beginning of his Galilean ministry. We don't know what he was doing for 30 years. But this changed. And how do we know that this is the moment? I want you to hear the words that are spoken at his baptism because they make all the difference. As Jesus is rising up from the waters, he hears a voice spoken directly to him from God. And the voice says, You are my son, the beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. You. You are my son. With you, I am well pleased. In Matthew's version of this same story, God doesn't use the word you. You can look it up sometime. According to Matthew's version, when Jesus is baptized, God says, uh, this is my son. With him, I am well pleased. It's like God is speaking not to Jesus, but to all of us as observers. Uh, because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus apparently already knows who he is. And just in case, God says, uh, this is my son. But in Mark's gospel, God is not speaking about Jesus. God is speaking to Jesus. 
He's telling him who he really is, and it's beautiful, and it's breathtaking. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I'm well pleased. Suddenly, Jesus knows. Maybe for the first time, who knows, but maybe at least more completely than he had ever imagined before. He knows now he is God's son, the anointed Christ. Did you know that nobody really ever talks about this? And maybe it's because we prefer a more supernatural miracle story of the incarnation like Christmas. Or maybe it's really because we don't like to think of Jesus as being truly one of us, a human like us, who at one point in his life maybe wasn't quite sure yet who he was or what he was supposed to do with his life. But if he really was like us, maybe then we can understand how by following his way we can become more like him and how like him we too can be a channel for that power that God gives us to do good in the world. Let me explain how this works in the text here, the story. Those words spoken to Jesus were not accidental. They are deeply scriptural. In fact, they echo two passages of Old Testament scripture. If you're to read Psalm 2, you will find this first line in his baptism, you are my son. Those very words are in Psalm 2. And those words were used a very famous line spoken at the coronation ceremony of every king of ancient Israel. Whenever a new king was crowned during the coronation service, a priest would walk out, anoint the head with oil, and then speak these words to the new king on God's behalf. King David, King Solomon, King Brian or Chad or Biff, You are my son. And God speaks these same words now to Jesus. And it signifies that Jesus is a king. But there's something else going on here. Unlike all the kings of this world that demand to be served, Jesus has an entirely different identity, which is revealed in the second line of his baptism. My beloved with whom I am well pleased. Those words come from Isaiah 42, where Isaiah uses the same line to describe what was called the suffering servant of God, the anointed one who would come to the world and give his life away through service. You are my beloved with whom I am well pleased, it says in Isaiah 42. Are you following this? In the words that Jesus hears at his baptism, These two completely opposing ideas are combined. Jesus is a king, but he's not like a normal king. He's a servant king who will give his life away. Friends, by his baptism, Jesus redefines the life and purpose and mission of every one of you who follow him. And when we are baptized, these same words are spoken over us. You are my beloved. I'm so pleased with you. Have you ever heard those words spoken over you? When you do, you, you become more like him because you discover that your life is no longer your own. 
And you become servants who, who share your life with a broken world. In our baptism, we awaken to a whole new consciousness. Which is why the writer of First Peter says, uh, baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. And a good conscience is a good will. <clears throat> it is a God-shaped will that's, that's fully awake and fully aware that in every moment we are free to do whatever we want with the power we have. But we will remember our belovedness and do the right thing. A good conscience remembers that God is truly pleased with us. It remembers everything Cain forgot about himself in that field when he killed his brother. It remembers Tim Scholl, that we right now must, we may, we can do good if we choose. At every door, the possibility of sin awaits, but so too does the possibility for good. It is always our choice. The scrub jay on that fence back in the summer of 1980, the, the brother in the field with Cain, the daily impulses that we have that we're going to serve our own will and our own desires and our own needs, we are reminded we can rule over them by remembering our belovedness, by remembering our baptism, by remembering that we are beloved in whom God is pleased. The writer Donald Miller once wrote about a, a good friend of his. His friend was an alcoholic, a gifted, brilliant, kind man, but he was losing his battle with his addiction, and his marriage was falling apart, and his kids were taken from him, and he was suicidal. He finally checked himself into rehab, but Miller said he was unsure if his friend would ever make it. But after several weeks of sobriety, his friend told Miller the story of the beginning of his recovery, and it was a single incident that had given him strength to continue. His father had flown into, into town to attend one of these recovery meetings with him, and in the meeting, his friend had to confess all the issues and weaknesses that, that's, that, that caused him struggles. He said it was hard. But when he finished, his father stood up and addressed the whole group and said, I have never been so in love with my son as I am right now in this moment. I love him, he said, and I want all of you to know that I love him. And Miller's friend said that for the very first time in his life, he was able to understand that if, if God loved him, or if, if his father loved him, that that God might love him too. And he said it changed everything. Our takeaways for today, Tim Schult means you may, you can, you must rule over it. Each of us is God's beloved with whom God is well pleased. And by remembering our baptism, we awaken to why we are here and what we must do next. Amen. Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. If you'd like to be connected to learn more about our St. Andrew community or would like to financially support our work, including this weekly sermon podcast, I invite you to visit gostandrew.com or email us at connect 
at GoSynander.com. Be blessed and be a blessing. Until next time.